and welcome to the Artists at Play podcast. Thirty years before the Joy Luck Club, and sixty years before Crazy Rich Asians, there was Flower Drum Song. Featuring an all-Asian-American cast and set in San Francisco's Chinatown, this movie musical introduces us to Mei Li, who arrives from China to marry nightclub owner Sammy Fong, but Sammy's in love with his star performer, Linda Lowe. Sammy convinces Master Wong to consider Mei Li as a fiancé for his son, Wang Ta, but Ta's in love with Linda and, well, shenanigans ensue. Join me, Julia Cho, along with my fellow artists at play, in order of vocal appearance, Nicholas Pillipil, Peter J. Quo, Marie Ren Velez, Catherine Chow, and Stephanie Lau. Originally recorded on March 27, 2022, which happened to be Oscar Sunday, we hope you enjoy our conversation about Flower Drum Song, touted as Broadway's most romantic musical comedy. Here we are with the Artists at Play producing team. We are joined by special guest, Peter J. Quo, Artists at Play founding member. And we are here to discuss the film version of the Broadway musical Flower Drum Song by Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein. The musical was based on the 1957 novel, by C. Wiley, um, turned into a musical, was a Broadway hit, then turned into this film, 1961. And um, there have been interesting opinions and critiques made about this film, but just curious as to what all of you thought in general upon watching it, um, some for the first time, some a rewatch. I was surprised because I, I actually didn't know anything about the movie. I just knew that there were probably issues with it because people talk about it in that way sometimes. So when I turned it on, I was like, "Why are there Asian people in this?" Like I was ready for like full on <laughs> yellow face. But then as I continued watching, I was like, "Oh, everyone's Asian." And then I googled it and I was like, "No, that's why it's important." And I was like, "Oh," <laughs> so like I was like, I was just like in shock of like what it was, just like face value at that point yeah I, I think that's an important thing to note because in the um, stage versions there was a lot of yellow face going on um actually one of like the white actors was nominated for a tony and i'm like that is a white man <laughs> so as far as the movie's concerned like i mean yeah there was progress made even between the the stage version and the film version it was interesting too because I was like ready to look for the yellow face, so I was like googling, and then I was like, "Oh, I, I, I like found the yellow face." But it was so interesting that like the yellow face was put onto people of color, like you know the what's her name, Madame Leong, the, the Juanita Hall yes. character who's African American, and even like the teenage boy who's Filipino, like they like East Asian him up so much because I was like, "This kid looks weird. Why is his skin gray?" 
And so like I Googled him and I'm like, oh, he's like a Filipino kid. And so they, they literally still painted him. And I was just like, I was like, oh, so I still get, I still got my like yellow face, like fantasy. So, but it was such an like, interesting way. You still you know? had your, you, Nicholas still had his gotcha moments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was also like, that happened even in, in like West Side Story when, um, was it, I think uh, Rita, Rita Moreno, they, they brained her, browned her up. Like they they made her darker skinned than her actual skin tone was. I mean, as rampant as brown face, yellow face was during that time period, the fact that they made efforts to bring us uh, as much of an all Asian American cast as possible, right? There was still the red like face moment, which was so cringy, but it was like an Asian person playing <laughs> a native uh, person, a Native American, and it was just kind of like, Oh, that's I mean, there, what we're doing. There were also other just racially cringy moments that yeah. weren't even Asian specific. And it was no. just like of that time. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, and Mrs. Marie, like, I, I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, these racial terms, the, you know, the, these racist terms go back farther than I even thought they were, you know, that, you know, and, and I was just like, and, and I feel like the whole... I, I think I think what kind of like shocked me the most about this movie is that the the biggest conflict you know with with the love stories um, gets resolved with a racist joke mm-hmm. and and it's just like holy crap this is <laughs> this is what theater did like that like this is this was where theater was and and like racist jokes is how we is how we we resolve these 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 conflicts and and you know just kind of get everyone married and i'm and so i was just i was like incensed at the end of it because of that and and just yeah and i remember looking at like you know i I was doing the the two screen experience of like watching and then looking on my phone like who is that person i was looking at the cast and then you know when you go further down the imdb listing or the wikipedia listing on like these characters i was like who is Mexican girl? I haven't seen a Mexican girl. And then, like that comes, I was like, oh no. Like, and um, yeah, another general thought I had was probably one too many dream ballets. Mm-hmm. But no, two too many dream ballets. Cause then there was the, there was, there the was Helen. The li- oh my God. So many okay. That ballets. one was way, yeah. That, yeah, you're right. One, two is probably too many. Like one, we will accept because that was also just, it's it's it was a staple of the the movie music musicals. Oh, this is Catherine. I have to say that for me, the dream ballets were actually a relief from the rest of the movie, and I actually was like, oh, thank God now, because like actually, what we were saying about the Asian cast—that's the one highlight of this movie for me—is that you get to see these Asian people doing the dream ballet, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. So that was that was something that was a relief for me. This is Stephanie. I was really struck, um, again, I knew nothing about the original musical. Um, I, I, I had seen the updated version that David Henry Huang we did, but a lot of the story around the songs is different. I was really struck that um, not that there was a generation in this film of Americanized or American-born Chinese who had no accent. Mm-hmm. They just were and were people in this environment, living these lives in Chinatown, San Francisco. 
And um, I was definitely taken aback. I think like Nicholas, I was ready. Um, I was ready to sit there and be incensed <laughs> that there were going to be uh, Ching Chongy accents and a lot of um, fake Orientalism. Well, I guess all Orientalism is fake, but a lot of Orientalism. <laughs> um, and there and there wasn't. And there were in so many ways like real conversations and struggles that you see between generations, right? The struggles between your parents and your children and how you honor them and their wishes compared to what you want to do. Um, you know, shout out to Turning Red for bringing all that to the forefront right now. Um, but I was I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, and it yes, it it was a little long at just over two hours. Um, but I think it's again, that's just like a product of its time, right? Like, it was also then really hard to separate and trying to remember that I'm watching a film that is 60 years old. Mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. the sensibilities are as an audience member like how those are those just are different and there's nothing that it's it, there's nothing that we can really do about it right or that we really shouldn't be complaining about it because these were made like so, it was just made so long ago i yeah i agree with you stephanie i was i was i was actually quite impressed with the film mm -hmm. like there are moments when i, I legitimately went oh it, 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 Impressed with the film then and then disappointed now because that means like this conversation of intergenerationalism mm -hmm. had been happening 60 years ago. And so this idea that there was this depiction of prim uh, predominantly like assimilated Chinese folks, um, Chinese Americans, but then we're still like the perpetuation of the um, constant foreigners still exist yes. was so is so frustrating, right? Yeah. Because at sixty years ago, there was even an acknowledgement on mainstream Broadway and in film that there are folks who are here uh, after multiple generations who um, have a very American lifestyle and, and certain like assimilation to it. So the perpetual foreigner idea that still exists today is what really like was kind of annoying in watching that. Related to that, um, the other thing that really bugged me, uh, and not about the movie, but what bugged me is this idea that, and you know, this gets still expounded by producers and casting directors that we can't do Asian American products because there's no Asian American <laughs> talent, right? And it's like motherfuckers, like in the late fifties, in the late fifties, you had the show you had flower drum song on broadway you had a touring production you had and and the movie there obviously had to be people out there mm -hmm. to do projects and when you watch the other and the other thing that i loved about the thing that i probably loved the most was watching this caliber these amazing asian american artists sing and dance and act in this show and like between then and now thinking about the the stereotypical roles and the lack of opportunities that all of those artists faced mm -hmm. when they were there and they were doing amazing work and you still and you get these bullshit arguments now about where is the talent the talent's not there asian americans are too quiet 
they they don't perform they're not out there it's like they were we were we've been here for decades it was just that was one thing that it was like super frustrating it, it it just was another glaring example of how the industry has been so racist and not inclusive right of 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 people with talent who are out there and we're saying yeah. that you know you're still de still dealing with people trying to argue and say that well there's no talent in this community where are the actors they're there you just you're just not seeing them adding on to that when i was watching the film i was like i was surprised i was like i was like wow there were enough there were enough of us to like do this like even in the ensemble scenes like they're pretty large and i would be like where did they come from like <laughs> like you know like i was shocked that they could fill those huge numbers with asian people you know but, because i think i had that perception too that there weren't enough of us that especially back then like you know if we didn't have a chance why would we even try to be dancers or actors and i don't know yeah i was surprised yeah that parade scene i was like looking i was like where are the white people that they filled in <laughs> like they must have put some white folks in here to fill out the numbers but they didn't it's funny that you bring that up stephanie because i coincidentally had been reading up about um, Forbidden City and other like Chinese American owned nightclubs in San Francisco at the time, in, which were an inspiration to C. Wiley when he wrote the book. Um, and all of these really talented uh, singers and dancers who were mostly just able to express themselves only in these nightclubs where granted they did have to sort of appeal to stereotypes to draw in audiences, but also had some sort of creative agency. And if I can just go back quickly to the previous conversation, um, what Peter and Stephanie brought up, it's like you have the humanization of these younger generations, but it does feel like at what cost, like who is being demonized in order to humanize these younger kids because they're American. And mm. one moment for me in the film that was quite emotional was when the father um, was held up at his door. Mm -hmm, and it mm -hmm. was just that like watching an Asian elder get, you know, robbed essentially with violence and feeling this compounded helplessness for him in that scene. And also for me as an audience member, like you said, Stephanie, we're so far away from it. We can just only watch. We can't really do anything about the depictions that are happening. I mean, I think that's what makes it both frustrating, but like reaffirming that we we existed then. We, we've been in this country and we're not just recent immigrants. Just how varied the, the Asian American experience is in this country. And then the fact that we were here and we were we were also like talented performers. Um, and there were enough of us to populate an entire movie. And, you know, going through like the, the IMDb credits of the two actors who played the, the fathers, Wang Ta's father and Mei Li's father. And Benson Fong was, he was Charlie Chan's son in all of those movies where ironically Charlie Chan was played by an, a white actor. But, you know, Benson Fong was there like putting in work. And then also Kam Tong, like both of these men had TV film credits that went back decades prior to Flower Drum Song. So just to think about what their experience must have been like to be able to like be part of this movie that I'm sure was revolutionary even then, had to have the opportunity finally perhaps to play these characters that were 
true to their truer, perhaps to their own experience. And um, I, I, I hope that it was a positive um, positive experience and time for them at maybe towards the tail ends of their respective careers. Marie. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, thank, thank you, Catherine, for, for bringing it up in terms of like demonizing some people in order to make others humanized. And so, um, but I, you know, I also did love that there were characters, there, there were Chinese people and characters who are like I don't speak Chinese like, I don't know what you're saying and like that 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 exists in 1961 Chinatown in San Francisco um I also wanted to say like what a revel at least for me like what a revelation was Patrick Adiarte who played the 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 younger son. the Filipino brother oh my god the Filipino brother <laughs> and like you know in his first like in his first musical number and he's dancing and I'm like who is this? And then, you know, and then, and then in the party scene and I'm like, I'm like, I feel like, I feel like I'm watching like a Bruno Mars type, you know, like just kind of like someone who's so charismatic when they're dancing, like he just shined to me. And I really loved being able to, to see that. And also like hottie, hottie boom body, like, uh, James Shigeta. Um, <laughs> at that time I was like, Oh, hello. Hello, James Shigeta. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that like, yeah, in the context of watching this movie in the sixties, a revelation, right. But it, it also feels like a weird orientalized, Rogers and Hammerstein musical you know like it felt like they were trying to orientalize how they how they write songs um and it it just it yeah so it just kind of feels it feels weird and I yeah I don't know I don't know what other comments I have on that but no I I think well first of all like you watch Patrick Adiarte on screen and he is a bona fide star you know like there is and just James Shigeta is objectively dreamy. Like, and these dynamic performers, they should have had amazing, illustrious careers. So yeah, it's both, it's again, like revelatory, but also so infuriating that they, they were kind of robbed of these careers they, they should have had just based on their talents alone and that we were not privy to seeing more of them and just having having them be you know more of household names i i will say too in in terms of like stephanie was pointing out how you know the novel um because the original source material was by a chinese american writer the, at least at least you had that to work off of but I mean, it's still predominantly white male creators putting this together. And also going back to this whole like, well, this movie is what it is, what it is. And we just kind of had to accept it for, for what it is because of the time period that it was made. But I will also note like reading more about like, you know, how this film came to be from the, from the Broadway musical, I, I think it had a lot going against it. So you know, Joseph Fields wrote the movie, but he had never written a music, a movie musical before. And you also had um, a first time director and a first time producer. So I feel like, you know, watching the, watching the film with Peter, there were just like logistical things were like, 
they could have they could have trimmed this they could have cut that and you know to just make the movie itself a little bit more like I don't know easy to watch so it just makes me feel like it, it, it's not probably not exactly what that stage musical was that was so popular that it warranted a movie version yeah, I think that gets into like just where are where is there room to fail right especially when you're working on pieces from communities or stories or involving people of color who have historically been marginalized or represented like they they're given so little resources to launch something and if it fails then it's kind of like oh okay well that didn't do well let's not try that again and it, it's funny when you're describing that julia i was thinking of the rank of like okay well for even like the asian american story and that kind of world to proceed so we got to start with some mediocre white folk and if they succeed then we might get some like legitimate white folk and then they if they succeed we might get some quote mediocre or inexperienced folks of color and then if that succeeds then we can finally get like a well-resourced production sort of thing and so there are all these steps before getting to the point of actually getting something successful and um rogers and hammerstein probably were like the, the folks who because their name was attached in all of this made the success happen all the way but then it reached a point where it was just kind of like okay thanks bye <laughs> and also i mean to their credit like rogers and hammerstein like didn't even have to write this musical you know like clearly cultural nuances, authenticity are all very lacking. Like they could, like this movie very well could have used a cultural consultant, which is like a phrase that's only come about, I feel like in the last few years. But, you know, I, I think, and, and I, I know it feels weird. It's like, I don't, I don't mean to like frame them as these like white saviors who came in to tell our stories, but I think there is something to be said about, you know, what they believed in and what they stood for and what 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 types of stories that they felt were worth telling and utilizing their their platform to do so. And maybe, yeah, kudos in that this is like the first Asian American musical, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that's based in America and featuring and featuring Asian American characters. So I'll give it that. <laughs> I will say I have this thought of like, even when I was watching this film, and I think I'm still trying to answer parts of this question for me, like, what is Asian American and what is Asian American culture to a certain degree, right? And I thought was really fascinating for me about as I was thinking, and you're saying that, Marie, there's something that, that hit me of like, the Asian Americanness that is depicted in this film is either like recent immigrants who are holding onto their Chinese ideals yeah. or like really assimilated like Asians who are like where like going to baseball and acting out in the the Paul Revere act <laughs> and there aren't those folks who I feel like for me I identify with which is that there you're like there's a, a strong Americanness but also like you have those Asian customs that still live in you because they're just your customs and I think the one person I was thinking about who kind of has that was Helen who Helen was my favorite right yeah. Helen she was needed my favorite. her own story exactly Helen Chow. <laughs> and in a weird way actually wasn't an integral part to this musical but at the same time like could have had her own show because she should have like it, it was yeah I found that really fascinating but yeah, I but I think in a lot of ways Peter during that time I don't think that there was a quote-unquote Asian American identity not until like the mid to late 60s because if you're thinking post-war 
And I'm thinking about stories that like my mom told as someone who immigrated in the mid fifties, you did American being Americanized and being American did mean, you know, you don't eat rice anymore at dinner you know you do, you shed all of those cultural traditions and keystones of what it means to be chinese you know you you didn't you 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 tried not to speak chinese uh because sometimes you were chastised for speaking chinese right like that's not the american thing to do so it is interesting that you bring that up and then and then related to that is yeah that idea of well helen as a character was that in between. So it is like, well, then where did she come from? Mm -hmm. Who, how was she informed either as, as the character or as the actor? Because in so many ways, identity was that binary. Yeah, yeah. Asian American wasn't a term at that time, right? Not at all. I mean, this is an era when we're still referring to ourselves as Orientals, right? you know? <laughs> I also feel like in the movie, you kind of see like the foundations of Asian American, Asian America being like set. It's like when I think of um, Linda Lowe, right? Like she's so like, I don't know, I feel like she's all about her and like the way that she just takes over like, yeah, I'm sexy, but like, it's because like, I love this and I love myself. And she's like this great performer, right? Like there's this like power and choice of being like, I'm gonna be my version of a person here in America. And like, you know, I see a lot of that kind of behavior now, but it's like, someone had to do it first and like be like the weird one and you know like so then you can have those layers of what it means to be like an Asian American person so it's like because I do imagine right like 60 years ago it was either like you're a Chinese man in a suit and you don't speak Chinese anymore or like you know you're trying to marry off your son through like contracts I don't know but like yeah no that's such a good point Nicholas because I, I, for me like that's that's what's so great about this film and also why still then and now representation matters because in this one film you have such a varied display of what Asians and Asian Americans are, are like or were like. And so it doesn't, you don't have just like the one stock Asian character who then breeds other like stereotypical roles and performances. But just within one film, you do see like this diaspora of different types of Asians, like with with agency and different goals and, and dreams in mind. Yeah, I mean, look at Madame Liang, right? Like she really was that bridge. You know, she she still wore her Chinese outfit, but was working to become an American citizen. She advocated for Ta to have the opportunity to fall in love, but she still played a really strong role as the sister-in-law as the aunt right that in a lot of ways was expected to be traditional and and more rooted in like um chinese culture at the time you know um i i really liked her too um as as a character i really thought that her and helen were like really strong chinese chinese american roles and i really like they should have, they should have had their own spinoff too. Yeah. Well, you know, the story goes, Anna Mae Wong was supposed to play the Madame Leon character and then and she, she, she passed away right before filming. Um, and yeah, it just kind of made me sad too, to think about, oh, that would have been such a nice little feather in her cap in terms of her 
career and also very complex his like relationship with Hollywood. I will say I really I don't I don't really like the music in this show, but I did like her song Chop Suey, and I was like, is that bad? Like, is it bad that that's the one that I like? It's a catchy <laughs> song, and also, I mean, I I I, mean, I, I don't know if um, we want to kind of get into that number because I know Peter and I like really enjoyed what it was and what it was trying to do in terms of like this Asian and Asian American kind of fusion mashup. Because if you, other than the title, yes, the unfortunate title and refrain, like it's such an all American song. Like they're just listing off like super American things and people and places. <laughs> and then in, the number is like actual, like, like an actual square dance hoedown, right? Oh, and then, called out <laughs> in Chinese. Yeah. And like that number. was, I thought that was really cool. It was like this really, it, I, I guess goes going back to like, what is this, what is Asian American? And again, knowing that the term didn't exist then, but like, in a certain way, there was this moment of like, oh, they're doing a hoedown, how white. And then they called out in Chinese. I was like, oh, but they made it their own. They claimed it in a certain way. And even at the end, I know Julia, you and I, when we were watching it together, like at the end, they bow together. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, the bow. But then I have this moment afterwards of like, well, that's again, like they went through this whole very American dance, but then at the end, they still honored their own culture by saying like, and we're going to end this with a bow. And it, for me, it was like this little bit of a cringe at first because as my Asian American identity, like I don't bow that much like that. But for them, I could see like, oh, this is their way of putting their stamp on the end of this, which felt really kind of cool. I think for me, the difference is, well, I don't know, because the difference is, are the, are you imagining the characters choosing to do these things? You know, or are you imagining the makers of this film going, let's sprinkle in a bow at the end because that's Chinese. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's where the difference would be an in interpretation for me. Yeah, it's like how much how much agency do the characters possess? And then, you know, thinking in the, the layer on top of that is how much agency that the performers have, uh, knowing that, you know, the creative team was was pretty much all white men. One thing for me as a viewer watching all of this is like, you know, going into it, I was like ready to be like mad at things. But I actually, I found it a hard time being like, wait, what here is like offensive and Orientalism and like things like that? Because when you just see Asian people do it, and I think this is just my knowledge of history and customs or whatever, I was like, what, like, I can't tell if like what they're doing is bad or offensive or stereotypical. And also because I'm not Chinese, so like, I don't know, but like, I think seeing Asian people do these things, I had a hard time deciding what was like make, gonna make me mad because a white person made them do it or something. Yeah, is it is it enough to see these Asian people just living their lives and like making these choices and is in, 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 in its own way kind of reclaiming what you know, narratives other people have imposed on us, you know, just like the optics of it. I feel like there's something powerful in just that too. And I, I'm just, Catherine, I'm jumping back onto what you were just pointing out because I also like have this really interesting thought marker of like, they might not have done that. And what if like a more recent like Asian immigrant was, or, or someone was like, no, we would bow at the end of a, a dance number, you know, and then added that. And like, I, that's, I think there's this interesting thing that you're pointing to, which is, 
character and context of the piece and then the actual people surrounding the creation of it and the influence and agency that both of those sides have, which I'm in a certain way is really intriguing and something that especially those of us who have lived in these marginalized backgrounds have to think about in a way that I'm sure like a, a very typical white audience wouldn't have thought that when they were watching that of like, wait a minute, whose choice was that bow? <laughs> Who had the agency to make the decision to add that bow? Because it, it, in a certain way, like it felt cringy to me because I'm so prepared to assume everything's done through a white lens. But then watching it, I was like, well, but maybe actually that like that kind of makes sense in a certain way. Yeah, and the other thing is that you as an audience member can also be like, I choose to take that as a certain way versus another thing, yeah. because, you know, this movie exists, what is it, what importance and what value can it give us here as Asian Americans so many generations later, um, maybe it can be a positive thing for all the fraught behind the scenes stuff that really went on or, you know, I think that's also a place where whether it's good or bad can change. And also, I mean, going back to just the musical element of it, like that, that, that Chop Suey number is just also just another amazing showcase for these like triple threat Asian American performers. Like, I think Pat Patrick Adiarte gets a, yet another solo because he deserves one. <laughs> and then there's like that little mini dance break where I believe they are dancing, they are doing moves of all American moves of that time, you know, that kind of like jerky. <laughs> I don't know what that move would be called, but they were in it to win it. And I was like all about it. And these are, those are images that I don't know. I feel like we have not been privy to or we're not aware of. And so how cool must have been, must it have been for Asian Americans of that time to see something like that? I think also the other thing that probably tempers the perceived offenses or the actual offenses of flower drum song is that we now have just more right it isn't the only thing if it were the only thing and this is the only thing that we had 60 years from now it'd be like it would be awful but the fact that we do have such now a larger body of both uh, uh, studio and independently made films that we have we it just, the having the spectrum right makes it like okay we can now just understand this as everything that we've said it's a product of its time you know yes and we can yes and all of that because we have an and we have we just have more that we can look through to help give us a better historical perspective of what Asian American film, American film is and how it includes our identities and the evolution of our identities and history since then. If I think back to when I first watched this movie, which was way back in like middle school, high school, it was one of the first movies I, I ever saw with Asian Americans in it. And just its existence was revolution enough for me and encouragement enough. And so I think that there should be kudos there that, you know, just the fact that these people are on screen doing these amazing numbers and acting is something worth valuing. I think that's why, like, I'll always be, like, strangely, like, loyal to this film, like, defensive of it because of, like, what it signifies 
in so many ways, you know? Yeah. Just what it, what it meant in terms of like being this marker of what Asian America was like at that time, but also of the progress that was slowly being made of Asian Americans in, in entertainment, in American entertainment. I know Stephanie and Marie, you had seen the David Henry Wong updated version. And this was, Stephanie pointed out, this was, and that was already 20, that's now 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, Marie. <laughs> yeah, just, I just made just a gave this really face. crazy face. Like, oh my gosh, that was 20 years ago. But yeah, were there any new kind of discoveries, you know, in in kind of comparing, contrasting the the film and and that and that 2002 version? You know, I when I saw when I saw Flower Drum Song at the Mark Tay Perform and I I saw it twice. I saw it with Leah Salonga in the May Lee role. And then again, when Jennifer Paz took over the role, um, you know, I had never seen the film. Uh, and I had never read or seen any of the original production. So Flower Drum Song was brand new to me in 2002. And I remember I was at, you know, East West Players at the time. I think I'd only been working in theater for like two years. And honestly, anything featuring Asian American audience, uh, artists telling a predominantly or or telling, telling an Asian American story, I think was a revelation to me. It was just a huge, it was a huge deal. You know, I had studied and Butterfly at the time in college and other Asian American, you know, Frank Chin and, um, you know, fo- all those folks at the time. But uh, I, re- I remember thinking this was, it was great. And just the idea of, of reclaiming a narrative uh, in a lot of ways, building upon a narrative, you know, because you had, you know, the source material we knew was, was a novel written by, by a Chinese American, I remember really liking it. And I, it was really hard. It was really hard to watch the movie and then, and not think, oh wait, how did they change it? Oh no, wait, what is the, like I was trying to really stay in the moment of watching the movie. Subsequently went and looked up a bunch of stuff about about the the, the update, the 2002 production and then the transfer or the, the Broadway production. And, um, one of the really you know we talk a lot about like history and you know that movie was somewhere to start right for asian american films you know in 2018 for the 60th anniversary of flower drum song there was a like um, a reunion that was done through broadway cares and they brought back members of the 2002 Broadway production, uh, Broadway uh, cast, and members from the 1958 Broadway cast. And they were all on stage and they like sang melodies together and they introduced each other. And they, and a big tenant of it was a recognition of where we were in 1958 to where they are now, 60 years later. And I was like, this it was I, I i i was like dumbfounded in like the best way possible just to see the that impact of the film and the 1968 production and how it continues to resonate through these 
many decades of performances and performers, right, who have done Flower Drum Song and, you know, influence in that way, David Henry Huang and lots of other writers who are now able to tell that more authentic and nuanced Asian American story. Um, but yeah, like to see Alvin Ng, you know, Alvin was a part of like both productions, I think, like the original 1958 and the remount. I guess Takayo was in, Takayo Fisher was in the 1958. Wow. Either Broadway production or the tour, because they kind of combined the tour people and the and the Broadway cast. Um, and, and to see them, you know, Takayo continue to work and do things, right? And, in, and influence a new generation of audience members and artists, like through the Babysitter's Club, right? Because Takayo is in that Netflix show. I, I just think that the, the legacy of Flower Dream Song is certainly a lot more than we could probably ever really comprehend. Yeah, I actually had the same entry point as as Stephanie into watching uh, into watching the revival in 2001, 2000 at the Mark Taper Forum. Um, yeah, didn't know Flower Drum Song beforehand, went because it was Leia Salonga um, and hadn't seen the movie and so um, had, had read David Henry Wong. And so, um, so yeah, and watching and watching the film and I, I was just kind of struck like, I don't think she was a picture bride. And then like, just kind of, and, and I, it, you know, it actually made me really appreciate that, that David Henry Wong took the songs and rewrote the whole book, basically, um, unfortunately cut out the Helen Chow character, but um, boo, but, you know, didn't make it like a love Pentagon. Um, and, you know, and so, and like, and, and and set a lot of the and set a lot of the show in in like a um, in a Chinatown nightclub. So so that gave like a really great context for 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 numbers that kind of struck initially as like problematic, um, because then they became like kind of showgirl like Ch Chinatown showgirl um, numbers. And you know, made it like kitschy and fun, and like I remember it being super colorful. I do remember sitting there and being like, "I enjoy being a girl." Is a really problematic song, <laughs> and and in both versions, I mean, it's just a problematic song, uh, no matter which way you cut it, right? Yeah. And and, and so, um, but you know, and and so it was just kind of like I was like trying, I I was trying to like kind of dig back into my memory of oh gosh, twenty years ago of. Like what? What was that like? But you know, I, I remember really enjoying it. I remember. I think that was the, my first time seeing Leia Salonga perform, um, and and just kind of yeah, appreciating appreciating all the Asian Americanness that I was seeing on stage because it's not something that I got to see very often, um, and didn't get to see for a while even after that, right? Mm -hmm. Unless I was going to like a, a production at East West Players, and so. Uh, you know, and so, so yeah, so it just really made me very grateful that a lot of the kind of like these, yeah, that, 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 that specifically the picture bride plot line is not there, um, that, that may has, has just more agency as a character mm -hmm. and, um, it is not depicted as this, as, you know, like a fresh off the boat, <laughs> Uh, you know literally like, yeah literally fresh up but you know and she is literally fresh <gasps> off the boat in in this one and and she's like and she's come to america because her 
uh, the, the father character is actually killed off, uh, like off, off stage and is, and what, and, and was like a political prisoner of the communist party like that, you know, so it was really interesting to see like how, how it was rewritten, mm. um, and which characters got like survived, <laughs> survived the rewrite, <laughs> but, um, you know, and so it's like, oh yeah, I think, you know, I think I would like to see the revival, um, and, and see how, how it's framed again, especially having, um, having now seen the film. We should get Asian Diane Paulus to do it on Broadway. That'd be revolutionary. That's just a bad joke. Diane Paulus, who does like, what she do, like waitress recently? She does like all like the fun Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, as of August, 2021, Um, they are looking at developing a new version of Flower Drum Song. And this is with Daniel Day Kim's uh, company, 3AD and Janet Yang Productions. And they're uh, planning to reimagine the musical for the big screen. So um, I, I for one would actually love to see their take on the original, original, Rodgers and Hammerstein book and music. Um, but yeah, we'll see if that is still happening and you know, what comes of it. Um, but yeah, any other, any other takeaways from watching the film? I just wanted to give a shout out to the, the Chinese New Year number. I kind of loved that with the big street scene and the, and the yeah. and, you know, and like, you would just like wait, the, was that Grant the, Avenue? Sorry. Was that? The yeah, Grant I think that was number? Grant, yeah, that was Grant Avenue. I'm so, I'm like, oh, that, that one, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just like, I mean, the choreography in that is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. And, and, and the way that the camera shots like go up the street and back down the street, it was, it, it's, it's beautiful. And, and how like, it's just so celebratory. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The the funny thing about that though is, you know, um later on after the number, there's this after they've left the club and Ta is running through the street because he's distraught that he found out. It's funny because it looks like they're they're treating Chinese New Year like New Year's Eve because they're stumbling, <laughs> people are stumbling through drunk. drunk and I think someone throws confetti. And I was like, "Oh, that's really wrong. That what that was, one, that was really wrong." And they, kept, I, I thought it was it was funny. I thought it was funny that it was so wrong. But I think what's interesting about that though is it goes back to like this question mark of like how much of that is the artist, which I right. think uh, you know, but also like would assimilated Chinese people mm. thinking about celebrating Chinese New Year do things <laughs> like that themselves too? Like how much have assimilated Chinese folks gone like, well, just westernize everything about a culture? Like, I don't know. So, but in that, but in that question, we already know what that means. And it's, we don't do that, right? Yes, but I think there's also a difference of like what we deem ourselves as Asian American now versus I think what was being talked about. Like back then yes, there was okay. such a polarness, right? And so if right. your your goal is to assimilate, what does that look like? Whereas I don't think for most of us, like that was our goal in a oh, certain okay. way. It was it was just funny. I was like, why is there confetti? And they're they <laughs> like it's not Times Square. 
They kept drinking. What was it? They kept offering. Drink this tiger plum wine. What? It was tiger bone wine. Tiger bone. I was all like, how does one get wine out of tiger bone? <laughs> yeah, the ancient Chinese, that, apparently. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. No. I, 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 maybe I was being too forgiving, but I'm like, maybe this container is made out of tiger bone and they put <laughs> wine in it. And that's why they call it that because you're like, I need to justify everything. I do. I was dramaturgically like, that's something that Peter said as we were watching. He's like, this could have used a dramaturg. And I was like, yes, or a cultural consultant. <laughs> I think I there's something about you know I, I think similarly you know more more so than like these like supposed Asian American Asian Orientalist stereotypes I was just more kind of annoyed with all the the romance tropes and even some of like the movie musical tropes because that's you know Peter made a really great parallel Helen Chow is like the eponine of flower drum song you know this like completely selfless like I just want the man that I love to be happy and sacrifice my own you know desires and what have you and then May is it May or May Lee <laughs> is Lee the surname I was like also trying to figure that out it means beautiful May Lee um and she was just kind of like the wide-eyed I'm just ready to settle down with whoever and then um Ta being just like the impetuous young guy falling in love left and right. But it's also a little problematic because it's played by James Shigeta, who is considerably older than college age, which I think that's how Todd is written. So Peter, Peter and I are like, this grown man just needs to figure it out and not string along these women. But I'm like, oh, I think he's a college student or a recent college grad. So again, just kind of, you know, at the mercy of like who, who, what was available as, as this film was, was being made. Um, My thing with the romance too, and maybe a dramaturg would have helped this, but I was like, I was like, at what moment did anyone fall in love with anybody? Like, when did they decide like, I love you now? (laughs) I was like, oh, you love him? It's like, came out of nowhere for me, at least. I was just like, oh, now there's, it's like love rectangle. And I didn't, it felt like came out of nowhere. Are there I think no that... other young men in Chinatown. <laughs> yes. That's what we were saying to us. Like, I mean, the only one. He, I mean, he's an attractive man. I won't get you wrong there, but like mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. same time, like ladies, you like find some other you 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 find some agency in your life, please. He's you know because I also just didn't like him because he was just like I'm in love with you, Lindelof. Oh no, you're kind of in a strip club thing. Now I'm gonna go to the like. He was just so quick to like switch too. And I was like, no, you're just not a quality like human being in my opinion. Yeah, but also like, why, why was Helen not the obvious choice? Obvious. But it's like, because they had to bring in these other figures for the whatever shape, love, you know, relationship polygon they had going. And um, at a certain point towards the end, Peter and I are like, okay, I think Sammy and Linda needed their own show. Like- <laughs> right especially with the kind of drawn out domestic bliss sequence at the end like because they were like causing drama for everyone around them because they couldn't figure out that they just needed to be together but do they deserve each other like or I guess they kind of or like but I don't know like just in terms of the way that Sammy manipulated Linda Lowe and you know in like 
totally shaming her for, you know, I, I, you know, yeah, that the, the restaurant scene and she's doing the number mm-hmm. and, and then like all, you know, and it, it just, yeah. I mean, lot, lots of secrets to be revealed, but not in that way. And I was like, that's yeah, that feels like abuse, but you know, yes, I yes, yes. Prevalent, from a prevalent, modern perspective, right. Prevalent issues related to misogyny and anti-feminism. And then at one point, Peter was like, is this just, I forget which point exactly, but I feel like it applies to the whole film is like, is this Chinese patriarchy or American patriarchy? <laughs> I feel like that is kind of applicable to the whole thing. Yeah. yeah again, right. like race aside, just the overlooming, because, you know, like, I, I, I think it's easy to blame just patriarchy for all the uh, issues we had with, like, the romance tropes as well, mm-hmm. and these, like, it's also, <laughs> it's also American patriarchy being, like, we're not like other girls, we're not like <laughs> those Chinese people, because they treat their women like objects, and then at the same time, I thought Linda was, like, really cool as a character, and they were just like forcing her into these weird stereotypes. Like, why is she so obsessed with marriage? I don't know. It just didn't seem like it gelled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was actually confused about her feelings for Ta. Like, was she just using that situation as a way to get the other guy to like propose and make him jealous? Or if he, they had actually gone forward with their marriage, would she would have been like sincere to that? Like, but I also, part of it, I couldn't tell if some of it was just direction. Like, I couldn't tell how superficial some of the romance was versus how deep some of it was and, like, real. Um, Going back to, I think, what Nicola was saying, like, when did these people fall in love, you know? (laughs) Or they just looked at each other and went, I need to love you now. I feel like it's, you know, where it's like, oh, like, you're equally as hot as I am. So, of course, like, I need to be with you. You know, like that's how I felt. I was like, oh yeah, they're the hot ones, of course. They were they were trying to take on probably too much. Like you already had generational issues, cultural issues, uh, immigration policies, and you're trying to throw romance in the mix. Like there was there was a lot, there was a lot going on, um, and apparently there was an earlier draft by Rogers and Hammerstein of a more um, confrontational ending. And it wasn't um, as as neatly tied with a bow as as it happened in the film. So interesting to also still consider like what how how far you know the the makers being considering all the variables right of like we're already pushing our these white American audiences we're, we're trying to push buttons and 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 see how far we can go and then picking and choosing, okay, which points do we dial it back? Because then it's gonna be too much. And overall, we still need to make this palatable for the general public so we can try to get a hit on our hands. I don't know, this is, does this is reframe the, the film for you in terms of like your opinion of it going into this conversation? Or are we still like- I just feel like now I know what it is, you know? Mm. Like, I don't know, like, Yes, like what'd you learn? And I was like, I don't know if I learned anything because like I feel like these are all concepts and ideas that we talk about and that we already know. So like seeing it, I'm just like, okay, now I know what it is. Um, and yeah, I'm glad that they were casting people back then. <laughs> also, I'm like obsessed with Nancy Kwan. I need to Google her. I was just like, 
was like, oh, I think you're the white one. I Googled her. I was like, oh, you you have a white like mom or something. But I was like, I just thought she was so good. She she was she. Uh, I mean, I feel like she's always described as Eurasian, but she was a big deal at the time. Like, so she was just coming off of the film The World of Susie Wong. Um, so she was like the big name Asian Asian female actor of the time. So like, obviously, she was going to be put in this movie. Uh, I had a really. Uh, when I was at East West Players, we had done a one night only performance with Nancy Kwan and James Shigeta, and they they read the play Love Letters. Um, and it was really it was really cool to see them on stage um, to perform. And I'd never I'd never seen, you know, at, I hadn't seen Flower Jump Song, so I didn't know. I knew of their legacy, but I had never seen their performance. And so to see them at East West Players, it was just really cool. And to know that they, I mean, they're the, they're the pioneers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they really are through all the ups and downs, I'm sure of their careers and, and, and everything. And, and, you know, going back to our conversation to a, an earlier point about, you know, there was all this talent and, you know, on the one hand, I, when I finished watching the, sh- the movie, I remember being really sad. I was sad on one hand because it was like, there's all these people who had these this opportunity in a flower drum song like did things pan out for them in the way that they wanted like their careers and on the one hand i was sad because you, the assumption is that they probably didn't just because the industry wouldn't have been robust enough to let them have that for them to be the stars that they really deserve to be mm-hmm. but then on the other hand it was like but you know you hope that they that they were happy and look at what their work did and the doors that it has eventually opened up, you know, six decades later for, for us, right. For artists now, for producers now. So I had really, I personally had really complicated feelings about this, uh, about the movie. And, and now actually I want to, I want to, there's gotta be a way to see like a production of it, right? Mm. Like someone has it, has an illegal production on YouTube somewhere. From 1958, or I mean, or like from like some regional some regional production that did it, not the updated version. Because mm-hmm. I know because now most places do the updated version. Yeah. Um. So that's artist probably- at play 2024. I mean, don't, don't think I wasn't considering it. I was like an in concert version, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, I think we could consider it for sure. Um, but yeah, Stephanie, I was also thinking about, you know, someone like Jack Sue, who is like so funny and such a character. And like, mm-hmm. of course he went on to, um, I mean, a show that I, I'm not very familiar with, but he, he was a series regular on Barney Miller and, and so became a, a recognized, uh, face and personality mm-hmm. for American television audiences of that time. Yeah. Also shout out to James Hong. That's like, what right I was thinking too. Peter and I like, James Hong? was that James Hong as head waiter at the club? And like, I mean, the man of like a bazillion IMDb credits, right? Isn't like, yeah. isn't he touted as like the actor with the most IMDb credits? And you know, you see him for these like blips in the movie hey head waiter I was like okay and you could tell he along with everyone else on that film was really putting in the work and it, you know they really should be lauded for that I think it just made me appreciate it more 
for what it is. Nicholas, you're saying it's like I was kind of waiting for and, and maybe um, waiting to catch something else that would offend me, but maybe more like you, Peter, like not not necessarily trying to justify things dramaturgically, but like justifying it in terms of really within the context of of when and how this film was made and 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 going back to like whatever that you know sentiment the popular sentiment was at the time that allowed this novel then musical then film to be as popular as it was and to me i think it going back to what catherine was saying is how each person individually takes what they were what they see right you know that whole going back to the bow sort of thing like my in, my trauma informed history is like oh it's a bow they just threw that in and then this kind of like well but they're trying to mesh like american and chinese culture and they they just did a hoedown and now they're bowing like that's kind of successful in that but who wrote it who drove that who made that choice like the idea that art lands on everything lands on people differently based off of their relationship to their history their trauma and things like that and so i not i think not again you know the tenets of what we all try to preach is not assuming that we all have a shared experience we're not a monolith of of experiences and histories but there it's interesting to think about that when selecting and presenting artwork too yeah like i don't think i will probably be watching this film again soon because just it's not necessarily pleasant to sit through all those microaggressions but at the same time um i feel like remembering the good things remembering you know how those actors really shined and like the magic that they made is one way to sort of honor the work that those people did regardless of the context around the movie you know me even as like a filipino person watching this seeing like what's his name patrick Mm-hmm. like seeing that like back in the 60s like a filipino person could do that in a movie mm-hmm. that well it's like even now i'm like oh wow is there hope for me you know <laughs> like it's so weird yeah even i recently watched west side story and then the bernardo was like he looks weird so i googled him he's like he's filipino i was like that's like a pretty big role even though they took away all of his lines but i was like you know seeing like those things back then i, I just oh, i'm just talking- like the chino the character yeah yeah oh i'm sorry yeah chino my bad but yeah and i was just like i don't know it felt something for me even though he was playing a chinese person for me i was like that's sweet (laughs) yeah yeah they were there they were they were doing their thing you know as as best as they could with the opportunities that were presented to them marie yeah just really quickly just kind of I, i i keep reflecting on um yeah, assimilation and immigrants and assimilation um, and how that is, I feel like the American story, um, you know, I feel like that is just so prevalent and, and, and translatable to a lot of different cultures and, um, and the people who, who live and exist here. So, um, so I, yeah, I, I love that we get to see that and to see it like that this has been going on for a long time and, and, um, and that, and that it is so relatable. um, And I appreciate it. Well, I guess that wraps up our conversation on flower drum song. Um, It's like, there was a lot to mine there, but um, hopefully the good outweighed whatever else.
<laughs> that it uh, that that we may have experienced or felt. Um, but yeah, what what an important film, and I think the word legacy came up a lot, and um, it it does it does have quite the legacy. This this show this this piece of um, entertainment from from that time period. So thank you all for joining me in this conversation and uh, watch out for artists that plays the presentation of Flower Drum Song. <laughs> 2023? <laughs> we'll That's see. very funny. Yeah. Artists at Play is a Los Angeles-based theater-producing collective dedicated to programming that explores the Asian-American experience. The Artists at Play producing team includes Julia Cho, Catherine Chow, Stephanie Lau, Nicholas Spillipil, and Marie Ren Velez. This episode of the Artists at Play podcast was produced by yours truly, Julia Cho, and edited by Nicholas Spillipil, with a little assist from me as well. Special thanks to Eloise Wong of the Linda Lindas, who wrote and recorded our podcast theme. Learn more about Artists at Play by visiting artistsatplay.org and follow us on Twitter at AAPlay. <laughs>